Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Paul Lambert to my Kieran McKenna. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Ah, oh, Justin. Always a pleasure to see your face on a Thursday morning to have a little natter about some midweek championship action. How are we keeping? We're keeping great. The, the championship is as, I don't know, busy as it is. We've had the VAR controversy, which is fueled the week as well. I'm, I'm geared up to talk about football. It's been a fun week so far. Mm, it, it certainly has been a full week. And I was watching the Champions League last night mm. uh, with the Newcastle game. What a great game that was, as well as Oof. the Crystal City game, of course. Um, but I was watching and I saw Jamal Lascelles and I just thought to myself, I played against him once. And now he's playing against Kylian Mbappe. And I think that's quite the contrast. <laughs> yeah, not at academy level. We should point this out. Definitely this was not a, at academy level. <laughs> this was a five-a-side tournament in, in, in Derby somewhere years ago, wasn't it? This is about 15 years ago when we were both... Did you play? I, I think I played one game and then oh. I probably got injured, let's be honest. I am a sick note. I couldn't remember if you played or not. But yeah, I remember vividly someone telling me, oh, that's lad who's at Nottingham Forest Academy Arsenal have been linked with him I was like okay Um, and then we played against him I scored from a memory although I didn't realise who he was at the time I didn't realise which player he was Um, I just remember saying oh he's on this team so So, I've scored against Jamal Lascelles but Kylian Mbappe didn't I was going to say Kylian Mbappe is an easier foe than Ryan Dilks you've heard it here first there you go. I've got a record against uh, Jamal Lascelles, which <laughs> Kevin Mbappe just doesn't have. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, we've had the midweek games in the championship, but we'll be starting off by talking about a sacking in the championship. Technically our first sacking because Neil Warnock was obviously a mutual termination, wasn't mm. it? So um, first sacking of the championship is here for us to chat about so we'll talk about that very shortly we'll also talk about the rest of the games in the championship of course then we'll finish off with Scott High or Ryan Lowe at the end of the show and we'll also make our predictions actually uh, for the weekend as well so Iskand Minos has been sacked as Sheffield Wednesday manager it's now it says they've now had their worst start to a season in club history after losing 1-0 to West Brom. They've got two points from their first 10 games. If they lose this weekend, then they'll become only the second team in championship history to pick up two points or less from their first 11. If you told Wednesday fans this would be a record-breaking season, I'm not sure this is what they had in mind. We're only 10 games into the season, Justin, but even then, I think the decision to sack Isco was a bit overdue. A bit overdue, yeah. You arguably could have gone in the last international break, although there was a slight improvement in performances. Obviously, that 0-0 against Leeds 
But you've only got to look at his record. You've only got to look at how blunt Sheffield Wednesday going forward, uh, how blunt they are going forward and how vulnerable they are to to, to being you know, conceding goals. They are not a well-coached side. And unfortunately, Isco Munoz has just not done anything to convince us or anybody else that he's the right man for the job and I do think he's a victim in some somewhat of, of Chan series Dave on Chan series terrible running of the football club but he was never the right man for the job even if this team was well set to to go this season with the right balance of players or the right squad of players he was just never the right man his record at championship level was masked by an incredibly talented squad at Watford so we just didn't know how, how well he was going to keep um, to the championship. And unfortunately, he hasn't. And everything's just diminished as the season's gone on. His relationship with the local press has dropped off the line of questioning from a local journalist. If you have not seen the interview, he's definitely worth watching because it is awkward, but absolutely spot on by the interviewer. Um, and Isco had no responses. He's not had a response to any questions, any meaningful response to any questions um, over the course of the season, which just tells you that he's not, he's not the right man for the role. No, he, he never was, was he? Let's be frank. We called it when the appointment was made and it's just not gone well at all. It is hard for him to play past Ishmael Assar ball when there is no Ishmael Assar mm. in this team. And let's be frank, it will probably go down as one of the worst managerial spells we've ever seen in the yeah. championship. I can't recall there ever being a manager who got just two points from 10 games. I imagine there must be one at some point who got something similar to that. But... Isco may be the first manager to go 10 games with a side and never look like winning any point. Every mm. game has either been a convincing defeat or them just not laying a glove on the opposition. In fairness, it's not his fault for this mess. I do feel sorry for him because the club's all over the shop behind the scenes and the summer as a whole was a complete and utter disaster. It was always going to be difficult to get a tune out of this side. Having said that, we've seen clubs in the past be an absolute dumpster fire off the pitch and still do quite well. Derby from a couple of seasons is an example that instantly springs to mind. Hmm. Sheffield Wednesday have shown absolutely nothing. And as I say, when the appointment was made, we questioned it, didn't we? He did nothing to prove us wrong in that department. So who next is the question. And I suppose as well, are Wednesday a lost cause already? Or can this be salvaged? Neil Warnock has been linked with the job. Alan Biggs, who's a reporter in that part of the world, says Warnock would be very attracted to the job, which I didn't expect, to be honest. I thought his United allegiances would rule him out of that, but apparently not, Justin. Well, there was um, a story, a typical Neil Warnock story, where he, he tells a anecdote of conversations with a chairman of past and Milan Mandaric nearly hired him um, I think it was 2012 10, 10 or so years a long time ago um, Milan Mandaric nearly hired him and, 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 and that was nearly that I, I think it would be a good appointment and I don't think the Sheffield United allegiances will matter too much he's a football man isn't he he lives and breathes football he lives and breathes the challenge this is the biggest challenge he will ever face before Huddersfield was a big challenge last season Rotherham years ago was a huge challenge getting Cardiff uh, trying to keep Cardiff in the Premier League was a, was a huge challenge when he got them up. But this is massive because his squad is poor, the chairman's a nightmare, and you're bottom of the league after the club's worst start in his history. This is the peak challenge for Neil Warnock. This is Neil Warnock career mode in its entirety. And I, I think he should take it. I think he should take it. I think he should have a good go of it. And if he can get Wednesday anywhere near anywhere near the chasing pack um, outside of the relegation zone, then I still think he would have done a good job. Yeah, it's like he gets off 
on these jobs, <laughs> isn't it? It's, oh, it's a bit demented, really. But, you know, it, it, he's, he just loves coming in and being the firefighter, doesn't mm. he? I don't, I, I'm not sure I agree with you that it's his most difficult job because Huddersfield were looking very bad. Oh, and he God. only had, well, he only had such a short amount yeah, of time okay. to deal with That's it as true. well, where it's very early on in the season still. But if Warnock's interested, then I imagine it will be him, Chancery or whoever's in charge of making that decision right now will just be wanting to stay up. So he's the obvious shout in that case. Local reports have said Nathan Jones will be interested, which surprised me. I think he'd be a great long-term appointment, but Wednesday will just be focused on the short term. And so Warnock makes sense. I'm surprised he wants it, partly because, as I say, of his allegiances to Sheffield United, but also because I didn't think he would want to work with Chancery. Why would anyone, any manager with a reputation, (laughs) like to, quite frankly... Having said that, if he gets the job, then Wednesday's chances of staying up go from slim to none to very much alive again. And I think we all know that. This squad isn't that bad. Very poor Mm -hmm. in places, but there are some very good players here. Neil Warnock, SOS. Save the owls of Sheffield is what I say. Is there a is there a signal that like a bat signal? We need a Neil signal, a Will a Warnock signal. Yeah, it's um, you know, his face when he's squaring up to the camera when he's yeah. in Cardiff it's basically that that they shine in the sky in in, uh, in Commissioner, in, in, Commissioner Chancery get it up yeah exactly <laughs> um, I suppose there is a question to be asked about whether the Wednesday fans will have it I, I, I said this a while ago uh, a few weeks ago didn't I and Wednesday fans typically rejected the idea but if he keeps them in a championship then absolutely he's, he's, he's bang on the money they will they will get to they will get to like him but he forces you to, to like him it, it doesn't really matter apart from Leeds fans I can't recall any um, teams that he's managed disliking him. He he he, he connects. He reconnects su- the supporters to the team again. Did that with Huddersfield last season. Sh- such a short space of time. He's done it with previous jobs. So I think they will. I think they will get to like him if he's winning games. Football fans are fickle. They're gonna they're gonna latch onto it and yeah, love him to bits as long as he's as long as he's winning games. Yeah, and I imagine there will be some Wednesday fans if Warnock does come in who will be outraged at him coming in. At the end of the day, I don't think Chancery really cares what the fans think no. anymore, do <laughs> they? So, uh, but I, I think they could quite quickly turn those Wednesday fans who are not too convinced by Warnock or just simply don't like him if uh, he does keep them up because at the end of the day, the interest of Sheffield Wednesday is what's the priority here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just one loss in nine for West Brom now, going steadily along quite under the radar, but we're saying Wednesday lost to West Brom, hence why we're bringing up West Brom now. Um, feels like ages ago since we mentioned that result. But shout out as well for John Swift, who's now had five shots on target this season and scored five goals. That is absolutely remarkable for him, isn't it? But yeah, West Brom, going, West Brom going a bit under the radar, aren't they? Let's move on to the team top of the championship, and that's Leicester City. Their remarkable start to the season continues. They've now won nine of their first 10 games after beating Preston 3-0. Sheffield United in 2005-06, the only championship side who can match that start. Was that Warnock? Must have been Warnock, wasn't it? 05-06, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, just speaking about him... Bringing up again, um, if Leicester pick up exactly, if Leicester pick up four points from the next two games, it will be the best start ever in Championship history. Kane and Jewsby Hall got two. 
must be just a bit embarrassing for him now. Oh, I've scored another goal, have I? Oh, sorry. <laughs> much better at football than all of you. Get a grip. Uh, another player who's way too good and really should be playing at this level is Valt Feist, who I wanted to talk about Justin because he has been ridiculously good so far for Leicester, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been fantastic. He's he's well, he was in our uh, team of the month at September for starters. If no one anyone wants to catch that video on YouTube, it's live now. But you've got to point out the fact that he's he shouldn't be playing at this level. It's it's quite simple. I, it staggers me that he's quite young as well, twenty five, twenty six. So he's in his mid twenties, um, but he plays with such maturity, um, which is the, the the key take there. Um, and he's he's by and far the the most composed. You know, happy to take risk sort of defender in this league um, and you need those types of players in this Maresca system to be comfortable on the ball to build from for, build from the back and he does it with ease and he, and he defends with ease as well and as I say he's, he's just making it look easy he's not only has he you know the best centre back in the league but he's also got the best jawline and best hair in the league which is quite the accolade for a man who is still not reached his I don't know his, 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 his peak physical potential I think he's not in his peak years yet yeah, well, you're supposed to get it in at the age of 30, I think. So if mm. that jawline's going to improve, well. then wow. I mean, you could cut onions <laughs> not on that for us. thing, couldn't you? <laughs> well, it's definitely not for us. I mean, be careful, Justin. Don't get too close to the jawline, otherwise you might get a paper cut. Um, but he, he has been unbelievable. He did cost 15 million when Leicester signed him last summer. So it should be no surprise that he's ridiculously good at championship level. But look, he got a bit stick at last season in the Premier League for a few high-profile errors stepping down to the championship has made him look like prime Beckenbauer partly because of the hair as well but also because he's so comfortable on the ball he does make me worry at times because he is so laid back especially when he's dribbling past opposition players but he's very good at it so why not and if they do if he does make a mistake and Leicester concede then they'll probably just go up the other end and score anyway so (laughs) he's just an extremely talented player and you're quite right should never have even got to the point where he's playing at this level but he is, um, and he seems to be enjoying it. Uh, but yeah, so Leicester, top of the championship now. Very difficult to not see them get promoted as the, as the thing stand, isn't it? Quite an alarming drop-off for Preston. They were, of course, top of the championship after six wins in a row, but they've now lost their last two games by a combined score of 7-0, which mm. is quite the dramatic fall-off considering we were coining, well, I was coining their defence, the Great Wall of Lancashire, Justin. It's the the old second tier curse coming back to haunt um, sports. I, I just think it's a balancing out, and they've come up against two two very clinical teams. In well, I say clinical West Brom. I wouldn't put West Brom in that category, but they were very clinical at the weekend. And Leicester were here. They didn't concede a whole lot of chances, which again is a positive. They just came up against teams who had really good days. I think the negative you can take from it is how one sided this game was. But Leicester have made a lot of games this season already look quite one sided in terms of possession. Um, I think it's just about being braver on the ball, but it's not probably not the reaction Ryan Lowe would have been after because the first kin in Dewsbury Hall goal, for example, was really poor, giving away the ball where they did. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot to work on, but I think this is a, a team that's still going through the motions in personnel, um, which again, come up being it's two teams who have been very clinical, which is probably the key takeout. Um, they certainly won't allow that to happen again. Another hammering that is. Yeah, well, defensively, they're much better than they've shown in the last two games. We've seen that from the first, what is it, eight games of the season so far, haven't we? Because defensively, they are a very good side. But for some reason, the standards have really dropped over the last two games. I think we'd both be lying, Justin, if we said that we expected Preston to keep up their remarkable form. I don't think we ever thought Hmm. they would be 
realistically in the conversation for the top two, maybe even not the top six. I think they could definitely have a shout of it, but if it were to happen, I'd be quite surprised if they were actually finishing the top six this season. But look, it's been a quite a concerning drop-off. Their results had definitely been better than their performances in the first eight games. And so now it's a point where Ryan Lowe's got to say, we can either capitalise on that good start or it's just going to, you know, kind of mask this drop-off drop off. that they're having mm-hmm. now. So that's the that's the thing for Preston. It's just about where they go from this point. But yeah, it's certainly not been very good over the, the past two games, even though Leicester are a very difficult side to face, of course. Ipswich have now picked up 25 points from a possible 30 after beating Hull 3-0. Only three teams in Championship history have picked up more points after 10 games than Kieran McKenna's side. One of them is obviously the team above them currently in the table. And it's just a ridiculous standard being set by this top two, isn't it? Two of the best points tallies ever at this stage in a championship season happening in the same season. It's quite remarkable, really, when you consider that. It's it's very. It is, I don't understand. I don't think championship fans or any followers or any new coming into the league understands quite how difficult it is to set that sort of standard this early on in the season. We saw Burnley go through the motions last season. Sheffield United took a while to get going. But yeah, Leicester and Ipswich have been absolutely fantastic. And, you know, they're, they're swiping away teams with relative ease. You know, Ipswich are a bit, you know, a bit of a tennis game sometimes or basketball match sometimes. But, you know, they're, they're how clinical they are, how how, e- how easy they make it look in terms of their quick transitions from from back to, to, to front on the counter-attack and, the way they set traps for pressing, it's it's quite you know, fantastic to see a team do it and a team coming up from the League One doing it. They didn't have a, a, an overhaul in the summer either. It's you know, quite similar to their squad last season. So you, you've got to praise Kieran McKenna for putting in a system that just gets everyone clicking. That's very rare. It's a very difficult thing to do. Liam Rossini's done it at Hull, but Ipswich made Hull look like a relegation fodder in this game. They were that good. They were brilliant. Yeah, they absolutely were brilliant. And going back to what you were saying, Justin, eight or nine wins from your first 10 games in a season barely ever happens, does it? And it's easy to forget when you've got two teams doing it this season, but that is a ridiculous achievement by these two sides. But we've got to remember, one of these teams is effectively a Premier League side with a bunch of players who should be playing in the top half of the Prem. And one, and he's also got one of the biggest budgets we've ever seen at this level as well, Mm. while the other one are a newly promoted side with a pretty average budget for this level. And it's insane how well Ipswich have started, unless they're doing just as well, perhaps takes the shine off it. But it shouldn't, because what Ipswich are doing is simply phenomenal. People said we were mad for putting Ipswich in the top two of our league table predictions. They're making all those who laughed at us look very silly now. But let's be honest, as high as our hopes were for Ipswich this season, I don't think we or anybody else expected a start this incredible. People said we were mad for putting Kieran McKenna top of our manager rankings. This is why. He's Mm. a world-class coach who's got this side... Justin, you're coaching at Manchester United, so I think... He is a world-class coach. Don't start pulling faces at me, dear boy. Mm. Um, But he's got this side (laughs) playing incredibly well and playing some really nice football along the way. And look, the squad isn't the strongest in terms of talent, but each player has been brought in to make this team a unit. It's excellent recruitment matched with incredible coaching. And worth mentioning as well, Ipswich missed out on quite a few targets this summer. Ellis Sims, Scott Twine, Jadon Philogene, just a few come to mind. 
but it doesn't seem to phase them at all that they missed out on these players. And I imagine a lot of people will be saying, oh, Ipswich will drop off. I think those people will be very surprised. Why would they? They've been playing excellently. Will they finish in the top two? I don't know, but they've certainly going in the. They, they're certainly going to be right up there come the mm. end of the season. I'm sure of that. The Ipswich are going up tractor has rockets tied to it at this point. PG. That's a fair. That's a fair. Um, yeah, that's a fair assessment. I did. Someone did message me on Twitter um, uh, about getting on board this tractor. Um, and I think this is the performance that makes me go, ooh, maybe, you know, I'm twitching a little bit. Maybe I do want to get on because, oh, they've lost seven games under Liam Rossini since he was appointed last November going into this game. To, to, to put swap them aside with, with relative ease, um, yeah, it's quite it's quite a statement because they are a very good team hall. Um, and that, that needs to be, that, I mean, that needs to be taken into account. So I am, you know, I'm on the edge of my seat in the waiting ooh. room and I'm thinking I might get a ticket. I don't want to miss out here. Justin, I did say next international break is your deadline to get on board. <laughs> you've got the weekend. I'll let you think about it for the next three days. And then you've got to make a decision whether you're getting on board or not. I mean, if you're not getting on board after, what is it, eight wins from 10 games, mm. then I don't think you'll ever get on board. So um, Ed Sheeran also made an appearance in the changing rooms after this game. What do you think of that, Justin? You're a big fan, aren't you? I I tried to think of, when you said Ed Sheeran, I tried to think of a song line to try and play in there I can't music's a bit shit for me that's just personal opinion that's just personal opinion fair play to him um, I'm sure he's a nice guy yeah. <laughs> you're just thinking out loud aren't you Justin is that a line that, that's a song, it's a song. okay okay yeah I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can see the, the Ed Sheeran puns we're not going to get very far with this one are we do you know yeah, any well, Ed Sheeran songs um, I know Galway Girl just because it's quite easy mm. to remember you know City or a city in Ireland, very well-known city in Ireland. It's very easy to think of a song off the back of that. Yeah. Um, A-Team, did you know that one? Oh, that's really old. Yeah, that's, that's quite an old song, but that's yeah. probably his best song, to be honest. Yeah. It was in um, it was in Yesterday with that yeah that Beatles movie. And he's also in Game of Thrones. That's all I know. That's all I can really say. Yeah, I didn't rate that movie. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's Hall's first loss since the opening day. They've had a cup and start, which has... <laughs> gone a bit under the radar and it's no shame losing to Ipswich even though the scoreline and performance was perhaps not the best but look Hull are going very well aren't they but they are they are I think the only thing is they need to tweak the away form a little bit because they've they've won one and and drawn the rest obviously lost this one so there is certainly a lot of improvements that need to be made um, away from home but this team is a, a you know it's it's revolving. It's it's going. It's going through what it needs to go through under Rossini, and it's not going to hit its peak until I'd say you know February March time um, under Rossini. But there's no shame in losing to an Ipswich side who who were just on it in this game. I think that's the only thing you can say. They they were they were fantastic, and and who unfortunately just couldn't match it. And that's going to happen in Championship throughout a course of a forty six game season. Yeah, and Liam Rossini is still a very young coach, isn't he? He's still learning on the job. I don't want that to sound patronising. I mean, it does, but he is still learning on the job and he's uh, not every young manager is of the standard of Kieran McKenna, who I, I'm starting to think is, well, as I say, a world-class coach and on his way to being an elite manager in mm. my point of view. Um, I've said before how excited I am about Hull. It's admittedly quite difficult to see them ending the season in the top six simply because there's so many teams aiming for it and many of them have a lot more resources than Hull. However, 
they're on the right track in the long term and that's the main thing yeah. is worth saying just two losses after 10 games for Hull is an even better start when you consider who they faced because they've actually had quite a tricky start to they the are. season so the playoffs definitely isn't out of the question I can definitely say that Southampton have won back-to-back games to get fully back on track they beat Stoke 1-0 thanks to a beautiful free kick by Stuart Armstrong that was a beauty Justin just before he took it I thought to myself it's a shame they don't have James Ward-Prowse because this would be <laughs> perfect for him. And then Armstrong puts it in the top bin. That was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, yeah, it, I don't think we've seen a free kick yet this season. Not not one of that distance or or quality. I don't think we have, actually. We've not seen a free kick goal yet. Why have you got to test my memory like this? I'm sure we must have had a free kick goal. I, I honestly, I don't think we have. I I don't think we have because we just it, it it would come to the mind quite quickly. Anyway, it's besides the point because it was a fantastic free kick and it's quite some way out distance wise as well. Which for someone who was in James Ward's James Ward James Ward's Prowse's shadow last season or previous seasons of taking free kicks, fair enough if you've got that in the locker. They clearly clearly work together in training quite often because yeah, that sort of technique is is, is hard to manage. It certainly is. I'm, I'm annoyed now that you've come out with a very <laughs> bold stat. Ruin the show. Well, it's 10 games into the season. Surely someone scored a free kick already. I can't think oh. of anyone off the top of my head, but there must have been a, a goal from a free kick. Uh, <laughs> but quite a feisty affair, this one. Plenty of mm. argy-bargy between the two sets of players. There were some very questionable refereeing decisions as well, yeah. which wouldn't have helped things. I think uh, we won't go into too much detail on the decisions whatever the case it's another win for Southampton and this is a huge victory particularly because it's a clean sheet it's the first time they've kept a clean sheet since the 12th of March and a lot has changed since then Justin chat GP chat GPT hadn't been launched yet Antonio Conte was still in charge of Spurs Graham Potter was still in charge of Chelsea that's how long their defensive woes have lasted but finally a clean sheet and for me, defensively, they've come on leaps and bounds in the last two games. They yeah. obviously had those two games where they conceded nine goals against Sunderland and Leicester. Then they were better against Ipswich and Middlesbrough, but still leaky against Leeds and Stoke. They've learnt to shut the door and keep somewhat of a lid on the opposition. They were never going to challenge near the top, um, or basically where they should be, if they were going to be so flimsy at the back as they were. So it's brilliant to see that they finally got a grip on that isn't it it was a roll your sleeves up type of performance um, this one from Southampton and probably my favourite performance of the season from them because when you consider those intangible variables it was a you know, it's a tough away day it's a long it's long travel it's a midweek night game Stoke made it very hard and very physical towards the end of it Southampton needed to be up for that sort of battle tactically they were spot on Russell Martin made it really stodgy through the middle Stoke had absolutely no answer to that and then it was just a case of relying on the the character yeah sure they didn't create as as much as they have done in 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 previous games but they didn't need to because they were so solid they limited Stoke so it's this type of performance that makes me go right you're heading in the right direction you can have the performances like you did against Leeds where you can be a swashbuckling side going forward when you need to be but this is this is the performance that you know, promotion winners thrive on because you've, you've, you've got to have your backs to the wall. You've got to stand up to the test. You've got to be physically ready for it. And they were, they answered all, they ticked all those boxes against Stoke. They just need to consistently put this type of performance together. Difficult thing to do, but it's a, the right foundations for them to, to, to go on. The season's now started for Southampton. Yeah, 
1-0 wins are a bit boring by Southampton standards, aren't they? Because they've certainly had some high-scoring games this season. So uh, I think more of this is what they need, really, isn't it? Mm. Four losses from six now for Stoke. Very underwhelming start considering their summer business. And it's all just a bit flat there again, isn't it? Mm. Well, they, they worked hard. That's what you can take from it. Yes, sure, they could have had a, a penalty or two. Referee was a little bit, a little bit um, hit and miss in, in this game, as you you've already pointed out. But they struggled to create anything clear cut, and they've struggled to really convince me without having Andre Vidigal in the team. When you've had a summer that Stoke have had, and Alex Neil cannot get more out of the players that that have signed than than he has done, worries me a little bit. There wasn't too many patterns of play where I've gone, ooh, these, these look good. Um, centrally, Southampton made it congested, as as I said, stodgy. Stoke didn't go down the wide areas at all. They kept trying to pump it to Wesley. I don't know what the game plan was. I've not known what the game plan was for a few weeks. I know we haven't shone, shone too much of a light on Stoke, but I just I don't know where they're going at the moment under Alex Neal. Yeah, well, goals is certainly an issue. Only four teams have scored fewer than them, which is ridiculous considering mm-hmm. the number of strikers they've got at the club. They've now also got only two fit defenders because of injury. And Stoke fans were telling us relentlessly how good their summer business was. But now look at them. If they hadn't spent the whole summer signing 100 forwards, then they might not be in the pickle that they're in with numbers at the back. And Stoke fans will tell us that refereeing decisions have not gone their way, which is fine. Maybe they haven't, but you make your own look at the end of the day. And I imagine there's quite a few other championship sides who will say, oh, refereeing decisions have not gone our way so far. Ultimately, Stoke look like they're going to have another pretty unremarkable season and I don't know how they get out of this vicious cycle I say vicious cycle it's actually quite a dull meandering kind of cycle That's really the, isn't the worst, it worst kind of cycle though isn't it yeah, you're just, just going round in circles it's torture it's torture for Stoke fans. yeah well people always said about Stoke when they're in the Premier League it's a bit boring being in the Premier League so they're just finishing mid-table every season now they're just finishing mid-table in the Championship uh, every season aren't they which quite a drop off. Is, is possibly worse um, and people may say Alex Neil, but Alex Neil is a good manager and they've had plenty of other good managers coming at Stoke and do just as good a job as him so What's the answer here? I don't really know. It looks like they were trying to break the mould this summer somewhat with the transfer business that they did. And it seems to be just more of the same. So where do Stoke City go from here? Let's take a quick break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about a somewhat controversial win for Leeds and Sunderland beating Watford. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Leeds 1, QPR 0. Crescentio Somerville with the only goal of the game. I said just before the break, a 
somewhat controversial win for Leeds. It wasn't really controversial because they fully deserved to mm. win. It was just, there was a bit of controversy towards the end of the game. It was a well-deserved three points for Leeds. QPR didn't have a sniff in this one. The controversy comes from Asmir Bekovic being sent off for a challenge on Patrick Bamford. I think it's fair to say there was minimal contact in that one. And you weren't impressed, Justin, were you? Minimal contact. There was zero contact. <laughs> there, there, are two, there are two things you need to consider here. Bamford's got previous and Begovic is nowhere near fast enough to get anywhere near Bamford. <laughs> That's not a disrespect to Begovic. He'll probably admit that himself. He's Sounds a big guy. Like <laughs> <laughs> He's massive, isn't he? Um, but this this dive from Bamford is, is horrendous. The guy's an experienced striker. He was once in the England fold and he's still doing this sort of thing. It's, it's, it's very rare that you, you do get this sort of level of play acting um, and for me there's just there's no room for it it's horrendous um, and hopefully hopefully um, the red card gets rescinded for Asmir Begovic because he was nowhere near Patrick Bamford and upon the replay yeah, you can clearly see that there was no contact there wasn't it wasn't the dive it was the feigning of the injury after as well it was like 10 out of 10 on how to cheat in football it was it was just shocking really it was shit don't do that you're an experienced striker we've got a nice game of football going on here you don't need to dive. You're just a convincing game for, for Leeds. Come on, Patrick. That's not good. Well, do you think he should be banned just in retro- retrospectively? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, can't re- I, don't, I can't remember what the, the, the minimum is, but I would suggest a minimum one to three game ban on that. Whatever Begovic would have had, it would probably been a one game ban because it was a... Um, it was a, a serious foul, but well, not serious foul play. But it was a, it was last man, wasn't he? So yeah, I think it, I think I think there should be a retrospective ban because it was the 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 worst form of cheating you can see in game. It's really bad. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going to disagree with you, Justin. I think I don't get my back up as much as other people do when it comes to diving, but this was pretty blatant wasn't it and you're mm. quite right it's right at the end of the game Leeds are one they're up they've not been in any danger throughout the whole game so there was no need really for Bamford to do that um, so I wouldn't disagree with you I think if there was a ban I think I'd probably say that would be fair just did it to be a dick and we don't like that in football don't be a dick just don't be a dick guys um, I think now's possibly a good chance for us to talk about refereeing this season because I remember last season we were saying actually the standard of refereeing wasn't too bad and we got a bit of blowback from that but I think really championship fans are always going to complain about the standard of refereeing because it's never going to be 100% perfect and fans just don't seem to tolerate anything less Mm -hmm. this season though it seems to have taken a step back I mean this game week alone we had the Bamford dive um, and Stoke had a blatant penalty turned down. There were incidents at the weekend as well, which were quite standouts. The Ainsworth, um, Sinclair Armstrong, sorry, Mm -hmm. penalty in the QPR game. That was just a blatant penalty. It does seem like we've gone backwards a bit with refereeing in the championship again, doesn't it? When I thought we were making progress. Yeah, you, you missed out Zian Fleming delivering the people's elbow on on Kessler yes, Hayden as well in the Millwall game, in the Millwall Plymouth game. But you are right that it does seem that we've had a, a significant drop off, um, and I think that's down to the Premier League. It's almost a brain drain if anyone's familiar with economic terms. <laughs> it's almost a brain drain of, of of quality that gets plucked from 
the EFL into the Premier League because these these officials get fast tracked because of the demands of VAR. Now I'm not going to go on about VAR. We've all we've all heard the clip. We've uh, you know, the Spurs game. We've all we've all seen the controversy. We don't need to we don't need to lend any more into that. But there's this you know officials that you know clearly aren't ready for that step up need to buy the time in the EFL a little bit more. And then obviously from that you're getting officials who aren't ready to step up into the championship because it is a mini Premier League in a sense the games are fast the games are quick it's 46 games across the season it's Saturday Tuesday Saturday Tuesday there's a lot of demand there um, and unfortunately I just don't think the officials are quite at the quality they need to be um, to to really come in and, and, and thrive you look at Jared Gillett for example who was fantastic um, he's a fantastic official in the EFL and then he gets plucked into the Premier League because they need extra officials for VAR and um, and, and, and everything to, to do with that. So I think that's the key issue here is just officials are getting fast-tracked when they're probably not quite ready to, to step up to the, the, the division. Well, it's, Jared Gillett's a, a fantastic um, example because mm-hmm. he was brought in from Australia, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Or whether he just moved here, I don't really know. But that is something that maybe the FA needs to look at doing a bit more often. But I think a good example of what you were saying there about referees being fast-tracked is the referee in the Stoke game, who by all accounts had a bit of a nightmare, is a lad who I think is, I think he's only 26. He's not very old at all. And when you're dealing with a bunch of massive blokes who are quite, in most cases, a lot older than him, then it must be quite intimidating for him, especially when he's got 20,000 fans or so on his back mm. on uh, with every decision that he makes as well. So, yeah. I don't know. I think, it, I do agree with you that VAR does take away officials from the championship when we could desperately need them. Like, Devon England's obviously been in the news quite a lot over the past few days, but is an experienced referee who has mm. refereed plenty of games at this level, but is now being taken away from them. So everyone's got to make the step up from, you know, from League One and what have you. And yeah. Yeah, it's not great. And I think the standard refereeing has been talked about quite a lot in general over the past few days in particular, but it seems to have been amplified even more in the championship. And it does make the whole system look a bit farcical. Well, that that's it. We don't get any transparency on the system at all. I think Joe Barton said that, for example, for, you know, professional footballers need to be involved in in making these decisions. I don't think that's true. I think the rules don't help, and that's where that's where ex professionals can can really come in and, and add context to situations when when developing these rules. But like I said, the the, the main issues here are the fact that you know, officials are stepping up um, to VAR when they they should be refereeing in games. That's their specialism. They should be VAR specific officials, VAR specifically trained officials that can deal with that sort of level of technology and and um, you know, getting to the point in terms of, you know, to the crisp of the law um, and making decisions. I don't think those officials that are, you know, developed in-game should be should be fast-tracked into those situations. So that will eventually, uh, essentially give us a, a good pool of officials for for the Championship in the EFL. That's, that's the key take out there. Yeah, there's a much wider discussion to be had here, but mm. we must move on. Let's go to Sunderland, who beat Watford 2-0. Six wins from eight now. For Sunderland, they are going very well. And this was a home win too, despite concerns about their performances at the stadium of light. So they'll be fancying their chances this season. 
Uh, the same can't be said about Watford, who are now 21st with just nine points from 10 games. The kind of form which is definitely worthy of a new contract. And <laughs> they only went and bloody did it, Justin. They gave Valerie and Ishmael a new contract. The Watford Twitter admin sneakily disguised the statement to make it look like he was getting the snack, the sack. Sneaky admin. Um, they know. They know the audience, don't they? Uh, but this just seems mad, Justin, giving a new contract to a manager when... Watford of all teams are twenty first. Yeah, it's probably the worst run of form um, under a new manager that I can remember. Uh, remember in terms of um, points at the start of the season, anyway. <clears throat> but it does. I, I think it's a a vocal commitment to a new era at the at the club. The the Potsos have created such a, a huge you know, reputational damage from a PR perspective of hiring and firing. That's yeah. It feels like it's changing. They're chucking their weight behind Valor and Ishmael, which, as I say, is a commitment to moving forward. I think that's the key thing here. It doesn't make sense on any logical level to award a new contract to a manager who signed a three-year deal in the summer and also hasn't really earned that through results yet. But for me, I think it's a, it's a, you know, it's not an Ishmael um, decision. It's a look. We're changing as a football club. We're committed to this guy. We want to go forward with him. We're not going to sack him. If we do, it's going to be very expensive for us. But yeah, as I say, I think it's a PR thing for for Watford and a and a and a commitment to changing to the cause. We'll just point out Rob Edwards had also managed eleven games at this point. Um, he had fourteen points to his name at this stage, um, whereas <laughs> Valo Nishmel, of course, has nine. So they've sacked managers for a lot less, and it goes back to what I was saying before. He had a three-year contract. That's perfectly fine, Watford. We get that you've had commitment issues in the past, but they've gone too far the other way, haven't they? I just can't recall a manager ever being given a new contract for two wins from 10 games unless they're fighting to stay up. I mean, after the Sunderland game, Ishmael took nearly two hours to come out and speak to the press. He said he wanted answers from every single player about what's going wrong. (laughs) It's not the kind of thing that screams new contract, is it? Well, you say that, but he's... Uh, he's, he's engaging more with the press for for starters than than most managers have uh, at Watford, um, and I, I just feel like it's 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 you know, a page has been turned for them. They 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 they're going with Ishmael, and as I say, I don't think performances have been terrible. I just think there 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 are key issues in the squad that need to be addressed, and Ishmael's still finding his way his way through them. Um, there's certainly quality in in that squad. It's just whether or not there's enough personalities and leaders. Um, but Ishmael, I think, is showing the the, the the right cojones that he's you know he's 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 capable of of steering his team out of it. And um, I think keeping the team in after the game, for example, I think is the you know it, it, they're all vocal suggestions that they are changing as a club. The, the, the tides are turning, the winds are changing. Any any sort of cliche you need from from that perspective, I just think Watford are trying everything in the book and. Ishmael saying that after the game, I think, is a, is a chance to get the fans on board as well, that they are committed to to getting the form right as well. Yeah, I, I, agree. I completely agree just now. I think Watford should stick with Ishmael. I don't think they're going to get anywhere if they keep hiring and firing managers, but it does feel like Watford have made a rod for their own back now. Because if it gets to Christmas or even before that, and they're still in the same position, a decision is going to have to be made. And I wouldn't blame them in that case. It's just you know, not sacking a manager after 10 games like they usually do. Middlesbrough are flying now, three wins from three after beating Cardiff 2-0. It's all just suddenly clicked for Borough, hasn't it? The most remarkable thing is the last team to avoid defeat against them 
well, Sheffield Wednesday of all teams. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering how far Borough could go. We obviously saw them last season, how that went despite a slow start. Could we see a repeat? Maybe. I like to think that they took my advice from a few weeks ago that they internally sent a memo around sacking Michael Carrick and then rehired him to kickstart their form. I think I, I'd like to like to suggest that, that uh, has happened. I doubt it, though, because that's lunacy. But you are right. It is, it is a clicking of things going forward. I think, the, the, the again, the key thing here, I think, is going back to it clicking. I think it's clicked in both boxes. They are looking a little bit more efficient defensively. You know, things aren't going against them in, in the way of conceding from every shot. That's what it felt like at times. But they are also putting their chances away, which is absolutely massive. And they're taking them at the right times as well. Sure, this wasn't a, a hugely brilliant performance against Cardiff, but tactically they, they, they were switched on to Cardiff's weaknesses. They hammered Cardiff's right-hand side. Lucas Engel was, was, was highly effective in this game and he deserves a shout-out because he's been really poor in terms of his form since he came in, but he grabbed an assist. It was much needed. Um, Isaiah Jones uh, really clicking as well. It's just all coming into place for, for, for Middlesbrough and performances have suggested that's going to happen at some point. It's just whether or not they can outrun their uh, lack of lack of clinicalness going forwards. Yeah, clinicalness, that's a word. Um, as we've said repeatedly, they've only had one or two bad performances, haven't they? Otherwise, they have been playing well. And I think it's just been about putting chances away and it's started happening all of a sudden. I think Emmanuel Latte-Lath starting to find the back of the net is really important. He scored in the cup last week, took his goal brilliantly against Cardiff. So hopefully he starts firing because obviously Boris spent a lot of money on him, but his confidence just seemingly deserted him. And Lucas Engel's another one who you mentioned there, just in a, he's been low on confidence, but had a great game against Cardiff. So it's all started coming together for Borough and we always thought it would. The question was more about when than if, and they look revitalised. And it's very exciting to see. Could we see a repeat of last season? I wouldn't rule it out. Birmingham got their first win in six after a 4-1 win over Huddersfield. A very much overdue victory for Birmingham. They've certainly been playing a lot better than results suggest. So this was a long time coming. Is this a showing of the task that Darren Moore has on his hands at Huddersfield, Justin? Yeah, I think so. I think you're just looking at the squad here because I don't think the performances, a bit like under Neil Warnock, I don't think the performances have merited the results that they've had. And this certainly wasn't a 4-1 game. They created a decent volume of chances, but it's just that lack of quality that's on show. And that, unfortunately, is, is probably why we're looking at Huddersfield as one of those teams that are going to be looking over the shoulder, not wanting to get relegated, thinking on trying to stay away from the bottom three as opposed to kicking forwards. I know a lot of Huddersfield's fans disagreed earlier on in the week, but... Yeah, the last three games is just a microcosm of what Darren Moore has has, has got in terms of the job he's he's he's, he's you know, undertaking. He's, there are elements of quality in the team, but more needs time to, well, more time to get um, the team organised and work out a way he wants to go with the squad because there's a solid br- blueprint there left by Neil Warnock. It's just whether or not they can click going forward and and, and find that bit of quality they need to put away those chances to make games more convincing because this this essentially wasn't. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. Swansea scored late on to beat Norwich 2-1. My three from the weekend was that Norwich are a bit of a one-man team because when Gabriel Sara plays well, Norwich play well. But he actually played well here and Norwich were a bit second best. So I'm not sure if that actually strengthens my theory or not, but whatever the case. Uh, a late winner from Hadji Wright saw Coventry beat Blackburn 1-0. Back-to-back wins for them now. They Another one who just seemed to have clicked all of a sudden. Quite a few seem to have in the past week. A 95th minute winner from Tommy Conway saw Bristol City win 2-1 away at Rotherham. Rotherham's away form is dire, so if they're not getting something from home games like Bristol City, no disrespect to Bristol City, of course, then Rotherham are a 
deep, deep trouble. And Guy Rowett quieting down criticism of him for now with a 2-0 win away at Plymouth. It's a very Rowett thing to do, isn't it? They'll probably go on to win two out of every four games for the remainder of the season and finish ninth. And the cycle <laughs> just repeats itself. It's worth mentioning as well, Zian Fleming should have... Uh, he set up the final goal, but there was a... Bit of a red card. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a bit of a bad challenge. I'm not sure how that how even a free kick wasn't given anything more serious. Anyway, let's have a look ahead to the weekend. So in each midweek episode of the second tier, just and I each pick a banker, a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend, as well as an outsider. So someone we think he's going to win, but has bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We're tracking how we do as the season goes on. One point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit, which will be a crossfit workout for myself. Justin, on the other hand, will be doing a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back. The current scores are 10-8 to myself. Justin, close the gap after I had an absolute stinker last weekend. You're looking very smug, Justin. I, I was. I, I, I struggled not to contain my excitement both on Sunday's episode and in this episode um, because, yeah, I was buzzing. I was buzzing with last weekend, 100%. For all those naysayers who say I don't know anything about football, yeah, middle finger to you guys. A broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> Here we go. Um, Justin, <laughs> what is your banker for the weekend? I've gone with Leicester to beat Stoke at home. Uh, Leicester are cruising at the moment. It seems a bit of an easy one, but Stoke have just won. Uh, have won just once away from home, and that came in the last game against Bristol City, where they came from two 0 down. But it didn't convince in that. It didn't convince against Southampton. Looked poorly drilled as well compared to that Leicester, who were just getting started, shall we say? Yeah, I think this is a pretty obvious banker. Isn't it? My banker is also pretty obvious. It's Southampton to win at home against Rotherham. Southampton look to have turned a corner while Rotherham's away form is absolutely abysmal. They've nearly gone a whole year without a win on their travels and lost every game on the road so far. So it'd be a massive turn up for the books if they were to get anything from this one. My outsider for the weekend is Middlesbrough to win away at Sunderland. Now, it was a bit of a tricky one picking an outsider this weekend, but Middlesbrough flying all of a sudden. Well, Sunderland are a bit hit and miss at home. They've been in excellent form recently, but I wouldn't be 100% putting my money on them at home right now. So I could see mm -hmm. Middlesbrough feasibly getting something here. Justin, what's your outsider? I've played the game a little bit here. For some reason, Millwall are favourites against, uh, against Hull. So I'm going with Hull to beat, uh, Hull to beat Millwall. It's that inability to generate some consistency at home, and Hall's record's actually pretty decent. They've 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 won a, a fair share of their, their away games so far under Liam Rossini, and they're not going to want a repeat of that performance against Ipswich, which they're going to be up and up and ready for a Gary Rowett duel, shall we say? Yeah, very difficult to beat, aren't they, Hull? So. I can definitely see that happening as well. Uh, no news this week. Instead, we'll get straight on to this. Scott High or Ryan Low? Let me fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Low. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. There's three questions. And this week, I'll be providing the questions for Justin. Are you ready, peachy boy? Always ready. Let's go. Lovely. Here's a list of West Brom managers. Can you rank them on who's managed the most competitive games for the Baggies? Carlos Corberan, Steve Bruce, Valerian Ishmael, Alan Pardew. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Corberan's been in charge for almost a year, so you'd expect him to almost complete that calendar cycle of 46 games. So I'm going to Corberan top, then Steve Bruce, then Ishmael, then Pardew. 
He's only gone and bloody nailed it, ladies and gentlemen. Ooh. I tell you what, though, it's close. It's Is a it? lot closer than you think it was. Uh, Corbran has only managed 33 games. Steve Bruce, 32. Ishmael, 31. Pardew, 21. <sighs> I was convinced you'd get Ishmael and Bruce mixed up because it doesn't feel like Bruce was there that long. It feels like Ishmael was there for a shorter amount of time, though, because he was just he was there until the end of January, wasn't he? And then Bruce came in and depressed everybody. Yeah, I also completely forgot Alan Pardew was even at West Brom. Uh, hence why Taxi I threw him gate. in there. Taxi gate. Taxi gate. The Barcelona taxi scenario under Alan Pardew. Is ah. that with Gareth Barry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they, well, they stole an Uber. Oh, dear. Um, <laughs> Anyway, let's move on. Here's a bunch of Argentinians. Can you rank them on who's made the most appearances in the championship? Julio Arca, Luciano Becchio, Alejandro Fallon, Emmanuel Ledesma. Uh, so that's a heavy Middlesbrough vibe there. Ledesma and a lot of Argentinians. Arca. Absolutely. Um, Becchio was a consistent, consistent player up until leaving for Norwich. I'm going to go Becchio top. Julio Arca had a couple of spells in the championship, but he was riddled with knee injuries. But so too was Alejandro Fairlin. So I'm going to go Becchio, Fairlin, Arca, Ledesma. No, no, mm. just not very correct at all. Uh, Julio Arca, 137 appearances. That's the most. Alejandro oh. Fowlin, 118. Luciano Becchio, 115. Don't mm. know if you're forgetting that he was in the Premier League for a little bit I think and didn't play though he didn't play but he was absent from the championship obviously during that time and obviously had a lot of time in League One with Leeds didn't he and Emmanuel Ledesma had 90 appearances so you were right with that one at least and finally Justin your final question is this I want you to rank these tinned items on how much they cost Branston baked beans Prince's beef stew Heinz cream of tomato soup Baxter's lentil and vegetable soup. This is according to their price at Morrison's. Other supermarkets are available. Yeah, tomato is criminally expensive. Tomato soup. Mm. It's horrendous, especially Heinz, you robbing bastards. Um, I'm going to go with tomato soup. Is this one tin or a multi-pack of four? Nope, just one tin. One All tin, the same okay. size. I'm going to go um, soup, Heinz soup. Then the yep. then the baked beans, um, then the beef stew because I feel like meat sauces are just cheap because it's not actual meat. Um, and then whatever the final one was, I can't remember what it was. Lentil and vegetable soup. I like lentil and vegetable soup, but that's quite cheap. You could have not got that more wrong if you tried. That was completely all over the place. The Prince's <laughs> beef stew was two pound forty nine. Heinz cream of tomato soup was £1.70. £1.70 for some tomato soup. Jesus Christ. Baxter's lentil and vegetable soup, £1.60. The Branston baked beans was £1. It's good, good value for baked beans there. Who's, buying, who's, who's paying £2.50 or £2.49 for tinned beef stew? Absolutely horrendous. Point. It's a fair point. Horrendous. Morrison's is very expensive, though. However, I do think it's probably the best supermarket, in my opinion. Uh, that is a debate for another day because I cannot disagree anymore with you. That is That's horrendous shout. Horrendous hey, I, shout. It's, it's just a very good supermarket. Um, 
There we go, ladies and gentlemen. We're not sponsored by Morrison's. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to go through all the games coming up in the Championship this weekend, as well as talking about any news that happens over the next couple of days. Maybe we'll have a new Wednesday manager in place. Hmm? Mm. We shall see. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Tilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.